Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I f- fucking. <laughs> oh, here we go. I finished go. Harlem Nights yesterday. I just had one more movie to go and just Solar Babies. And uh, <laughs> so I started to watch it on the train. And then, yeah, I literally finished watching it. But in the back of my head, I'm going, Jesus. Timeline wise, I'm like, this is so weird because I know Cousin Jamie, like, I know she did The Lost Boys with Jason Patrick too, but. That, was that before or after this? And like, I could, I'm like, this seems, I don't know, this came out in 1989. This doesn't make sense. For the and, listeners, if, if I keep this, Fred watched the wrong goddamn movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he went, and at he one went in the morning, way. right when I, fin- when I finally, <laughs> finally, finally finished Solar Babies. Going, don't worry, audience. You don't have to listen to us talk about Solar Babies this episode. <laughs> you but almost did because soon. I, soon. the, the only the reason I knew lives. was... No, the only reason, because then afterwards, I was like, well, let me go to Wicked, let me, like, look up some stuff on Solar Babies, let me go to Wikipedia, and it was like... <laughs> Doing his research, like a diligent... Yeah, because then it was, like, 1986, and I'm going, wait a minute, it is... Wait, did it... Was it made in 1986, but it just... They, it, the wide release was in 1989? <laughs> was it a remake? I didn't know. Yeah, they were waiting, and then I went, oh, shit, wait a minute, and then I scrolled back, you know, tried to find the text you sent, and I went, oh, my God, I watched the wrong goddamn movie. <laughs> I'm like, what movie do I have to watch? Steel Magnolias. <laughs> we would, oh I think God. we should have. We would have rolled with it, and you would have just talked about Solar Babies as if it were Steel Magnolias. Well, well they are a, a powerful pretty female ensemble. <laughs> yes, it's set in Peter De Louisiana. It's almost. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. It's a way Very to make good. it work. I'm telling you. Anyway. It's a, great, it's, a, it's a great j- joke, Dan, that nobody listening <laughs> knows, even when they're listening to the episode about Solar Babies. It'll be, like, it'll be first, it'll be like, Peter DeLuise in that? Like, There's a movie called Solar Babies? There's a person called Peter DeLuise? There's going to be a lot of questions. All right. Well, in the meantime, boom, boom, boom. Coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Rated R. Welcome to episode 85 of Opening Weekend. 85. That's a good number. 85. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And this week, we travel back to November 17th, 1989. It was one week after the fall of the Berlin Wall and three seconds before the fall of Eddie Murphy's career. And we're here to cover it all, except for the Berlin Wall part. The three major box office releases that week were... The aforementioned Eddie Murphy Vanity Project, I mean, directorial debut, Harlem Nights, the Herbert Ross directed, Sally Field led ensemble comedy slash weepy Steel Magnolias, and the first brushstroke of Disney's animation renaissance, The Little Mermaid. But before we dive into the week's films, Fred and Dan, where was you boys? In November of 1989. Okay, now I have it right. Now I have it right. I didn't have it right a few weeks ago, but now I have it right. Mr. Gorbachev, tear, <laughs> tear down this partition. Is that what he said? Was that, was that what he actually so. Good. He did, Go back actually. to episode whatever it was <laughs> to listen to Dan's original impersonation of Reagan. And here's my ignorance, college yes. professor. Completely ignorant. Berlin, all of Berlin, 
is in East Germany. Well, it was East Germany, but half of Berlin is West Germany. It's not the, the dividing line between Berlin. I always thought the Berlin Wall divided, not only divided East Germany, or East Berlin and West Berlin, but divided East Germany and West Germany, but that's wrong. Uh-huh. That's not correct. Uh-huh. <clears throat> well, right? thank you for informing me <laughs> of that. <laughs> All I but remember is, is commies on one side and, uh, you know, I don't know, good meat and potatoes, folks. On the other. No, I don't know. That's what, that's, that's what they told me, me in school. Schnitzel and potatoes, folks, on the other side. But I doesn't that, that make, it, that would be it, like if Fred and I say, okay, you take this okay, half of the New math. York and I'll take this half of New York, uh, but Albany, you'll get half of that and I'll get half of that. Well, all, but the entirety of Albany is mm-hmm. in Fred's half. But how does that help me? You understand? Communism doesn't make sense, Dan. <laughs> Communism doesn't make sense. Never has, never will. <laughs> Actually, it makes it it, it. it sort of does make sense. It just never works. The idea of it, I guess, is good. As I guess there's good intentions. As Homer Simpson know. said, in theory, communism works. In theory. <laughs> if Homer believes it, then. Then it's got to be good. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's weird to be like, okay, well, you're half has that fancy city. Let's split that up. Too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. That's what it is. It's like, okay, well, yeah, yeah. I guess it does make sense in a weird, weird symbolic way. I don't it know. makes about as much sense as the machinations of Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor <laughs> in Harlem. He's already segwaying. Oh, wow. Boom. Segway. Who cares where we were? We know where Berlin was or parts of it. <laughs> so is that what you were doing in uh, November 1989, Dan? You were wondering, what, hey, what's going on? Wait a minute. This doesn't make sense, Mr. Gorbachev. I was watching, I was watching TV and going, this seems like it would be, it's an important thing for me to understand. And then I didn't understand it. I got frustrated. <laughs> And I turned on the uh, arid extra dry commercial instead. Get a little closer. Remember that? Yes. You found that in the TV guide listings. <laughs> Yours were very specific. Paper specific. I found them when, wherever they were. I was working at um, Movie City by this time. And that, yeah, that makes yeah. total sense because I saw, and we'll get to it, I saw Little Mermaid at the theater where... Uh, I worked and that and a lot of time, like a lot of times I was like, this is new Disney. I was never that into yeah. the classic Disney. I'd seen them, of course, but you know, but we'll talk all about that. So this is, this is pride. This is the beginnings of movie city time, which makes sense because we're approaching the holidays and I needed money to buy my arid extra dry. <laughs> Fredo, where were uh, you, you were a senior, right? I was, I, a was senior. A I was a senior. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think probably around this time, November, right? We're in November. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, I probably just finished up a uh, little shop of horrors. We did that. That was our senior musical. Oh. Were you seeing Yeah, more? we always did. We did. It. No, I played oh, uh, the dentist. I played Orrin Scrivello oh, DDS. That's that's yes, good. Brian Farley played Seymour. We were upset that you did not get Seymour. No, I was thrilled about the dentist. I was just thrilled we were doing the show. This I I, I campaigned uh, for our our uh-huh. drama teacher John Shorter to do the show. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't just me that convinced him to do it, but I was a huge fan of the off the original off Broadway production. My, it's weird. My sister Simone and I have spoken about this before. In our recollection, we saw the original production like ten times off Broadway because it played at the Orpheum, and it might have been. 
maybe twice, only twice. I definitely saw it more than once, but mm. when it first came out, my I remember my parents taking us to see it and we loved it. And I remember there was another time we were like driving back from Montauk over the summer and it was a very last minute thing where they're like, you want to go see Little Shop of Horrors again tonight? We're like, yeah. And I feel like we saw it multiple times. So I loved, 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 mm. loved that musical. So well, you're born to so- play Seymour for God's sake. Have you ever played it? He played yeah, it with, I played uh, it opposite uh, Jason O'Connell's Orange Scrivello DDS at the Fort Salem Fort Theater. Sa- that was the first oh, time we went to Fort Salem. God, I didn't see that production. Yeah, no, you you came you, you came a month later for the Sterling. No, no, Nanette. Which I'll never forget. Yeah. I'll yeah. never you forget. You missed the show where Jason and I stuff. actually had roles and leads, and then you <laughs> came to see the one where we were the chorus <laughs> I boys. Yeah, we did the nerd. We were the leads and the I nerd. I saw that. We I saw the, that. Oh, you saw, you saw the nerd too? Yes, I saw the nerd and no, no, Nanette. Yes. Did you have like a, but you weren't around when we did Little Shop, so you must have been, well, maybe just, I mean, why would you be, why would I you, don't be, know. Are you gonna, <laughs> are you going to get an Airbnb for two months in Salem, <laughs> I, New York? I followed you guys around wherever, you guys were like the McRib to me. I followed you wherever you were in the country <laughs> oh at any given time. But I like how I'm like, well, you didn't drive back five hours up into Confederate uh, <laughs> New York. Confederate <laughs> New York. That's what it was like. Anyway, uh, that's, that's 1993 though. Uh, um, but uh, yes, yeah, so I was doing, I think we probably just finished up and uh, we finished that production and I think I just quit the soccer team shortly before. Why'd you quit? Uh, so, uh, because I was a dick. I was... <laughs> No, I, I, am not proud of it. I look back at it now that it, it was, it was, um, it, it, you know what it was? It, I was on the, I was on the varsity soccer team. I was middling at best, but mm. I played my entire life and it was, we, we had uh, a rehearsal after school for little shop. And this was right around the time when I was like, this is it. Like, I want to be, I want to go, you know, full freight into acting. You know, yeah. I really want to, uh, I think that was around the, t- I think this was probably around the time when I thought, you know, maybe that's what I'm going to major at in college, you know, because originally oh. I wanted to do communications. I wanted to do film or something. So anyway, we, we had a, but we had a soccer, we had a game the next day and we had soccer practice, but the soccer practice was not at our high school. We had to go to the elementary school, Shelter Rock. And oh, we had yeah. to take a bus and, but I had to get to rehearsal. So I asked our coach, I said, Hey, look, can I just, can I drive? And then I'll just leave practice a, just like two minutes early so I can make rehearsal. And he said, no. And I get it. You know, like in retrospect at the time, I was like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, why, what's right. the point? And his thing was like, you know, you gotta be on the bus with, you know, this is, it's, it's a school outing. Like, well, I can't take responsibility. So, so then I couldn't go. I was like, well, I guess I can't go to practice. Uh, which was stupid. I should have just gone to practice and then just shown up to rehearsal late because I didn't go to practice the next day in the game. He didn't play me at all. And it poured rain. It was pouring the whole time. Oh, so you sat on the bench in the rain. I sat on the bench in the rain and we were losing pretty badly. And even though I wasn't the best player, I was like, I feel like I could help us out on defense. And I, you know, just got all like, puffed up and then at the end you know you do the everyone gets in line and they go good game good game good game oh, and I was like well fuck this I'm leaving oh. so I just so I just I was like I didn't play the game so I started to walk away and he, the coach was yelling he was like Ryan get back here and I was like eh and at that point I don't know I was just like I'm like I'm done I'm just gonna go I want I, like why I'm gonna I'm gonna you know focus on acting anyway and uh did yeah, you and I just stand on top off. of the bench and say that I'm gonna be an actor Goodbye. <laughs> I'm that leaving. Would have been, 
Did you <laughs> that do that? Would have been awful. That would have been ten times worse than what I did. No, I just I just walked away. He was like, "If you don't come back, you're off the team." You know, like bring your uniform in tomorrow. And I said, Ooh. "Okay," and then I did. So uh, yeah, not you know, it, it, at the time it didn't seem like a big deal, and now I'm like, "Oh God, what a that was that was dickish." Shouldn't have done that. Let yeah, the team do you, down. Do you, have, do you have deep regrets? I mean, you wish you were like a, a soccer star. Come on. No, but I should. But that's no lesson. <laughs> it's not like the path. It's not like you're eating, you know, dog food somewhere, and you're like, oh, if only I. Had, all I've got is these good legs. These legs haven't aged a bit. Look how muscular. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you know, I let my team down. Not really, because I wasn't very good. But, you know, they were probably happy to, to get rid you, of the dead you weight. You let your team down gently. <laughs> <laughs> you insensitive asshole. Were you in the community band? Were either of you in the community band at this time? Did you have, like, a community band? No, oh, I, I don't remember anything. that at all. I didn't play any Oh, you didn't no. play any instruments, Jason? No, I only sang, I sang in chorus and stuff like that. Oh, Right, never, right, right. Never the learned an instrument. The community, the guy who ran our band, Mr. Hunt, was also ran the Woodbridge Township community band. And so he asked certain like juniors and seniors in the band band to be in community band. And so I did. And he said, that's a good time to practice a set to do a secondary instrument. And mine was percussion because I always wanted to be like you, Fred. I wanted to and still want to be like you. I wanted, <laughs> wanted to be a drummer. And so he started me on, you know, the Tom Toms and the big bass drum and the, yeah. you know, and things like that. But there was a time in the show where I had to do the big crash symbols, you know, the two, oh, yeah. the psh, you know, together. Yep. And I put them back down on the, um, this big table <laughs> oh, and no. I didn't put them out down on their right. And they, in the middle of this big <laughs> quiet moment in this big community band song, they, they fell oh, off God. and ruining the, and I was absolutely mortified. I was completely, I was like, I ruined the concert. I ruined this concert that we've been working on for months, this holiday concert that we've been working on for months. And, uh, it was, it was destroyed. And he was so nice. He was like, it's okay. It happens. Don't worry about it. It didn't ruin anything. You know, you're fine. I was a, a, a wreck afterwards, Aww. but, um, but I always wanted to be like you, Fred. I always wanted to be a drummer. And I, I feel I still could, if I win this 1.9 billion, Oh, and somebody did win. Never mind. You'll take up drum lessons? Exactly. I'll have time finally to take up drum lessons and I can be like you. See? Aww. And then I can be in the invisible people. Oh, wait, I was. <laughs> what were you doing, what Jason? Were you? you were a freshman. I was right, getting ready for the invisible people. I was two years away from that, gracing <laughs> the stages. Preparing. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was my first semester at Hofstra. I was wow. finding my way the only way I know how. But that's just a little <laughs> bit more than the law would allow. <laughs> or the public safety officers at Hofstra University. No, I was, uh, yeah, it was a weird, it was a good first semester, but it was weird. I was like, you know, I was missing, missing home, missing high school. Like it was very, you know, the transition was a little... Uh, because my roommates were all like upperclassmen and mm. uh, I, I lived in. Uh, well, that's weird. Well, I say upperclassmen. They were all older than me. They're probably just, yeah. I think they were so all sophomores and they were all in a, um, they frat. were all in a, a frat together. Mm, and buddy. it was like one guy like flunked out his freshman year. Bye. And so there was a, like, they had gotten this dorm together and then there was a spot open and I got slotted into it. So I was like, uh -huh. hi guys. They were very nice to me. I just was like. They were athletes and whatever and older yeah. and, and big drinkers, big drinkers. Wow. And uh, I was like, I, you know, but they were so sweet to me. But I, I I just had nothing in common with them. And that's where I would go. And I was just slowly starting to make 
friends in the drama department. I mean, you know, like Jonas, yeah. I was, got close with pretty quickly. Uh, there were a few, Amy Lowett, you know, I mean, I mean, I loved everybody, but I just was like, I don't know, I felt awkward. I felt weird yeah. being at college. I was like, I have no business being here. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I was not, I still feel this way as an actor. I'm like, I don't know a lot about, you know, you want to talk to me about Stanislavski or this or that. I don't really know. I just know. I just do it. I pretend it works for me, whatever. I don't, I don't apply, method, you know, critical thinking. You know, it's like, you I should teach acting classes. You should teach acting classes. I'm very, Dan, I should, but I can't, but I won't be able to be like, turn to page 60. I'll be like. Did that feel real to you? No? <laughs> Go back and do it again. No, no acting teacher should do say, turn to page 60. No, I know. I'm just kidding. If you're an acting teacher saying, turn to page 60, you shouldn't be teaching acting. Dan, no, please say that. I hope you've never said no, that. he doesn't I, do that. I, if I assign 60 pages of something, the students will read 12 of those pages, so I don't, I just know that that's... Unless it's turn to page 60 of the script and, you know, yes, read this exactly. monologue. No, but I'm, just, I'm just teasing. But I did always feel like, you know, I, I, this is a term I only learned in the last few I, imposter syndrome i never heard it given a term before but you only mm. I, I just always felt that way like i don't really i don't belong here you know what was great was cabaret that which we've talked about before on on the show it's like this late night thing on wednesday nights at like mm. 11 or 11 30 p.m in, in the little theater on campus the spiegel theater it was run by the theater um the drama fraternity alpha psi omega and it was just like a like the, the whole department basically would get together and People would perform for each other, sing, you know, sing songs, play an, an instrument, mic, tell yeah. a story. It was like an open mic. You do. I did mm-hmm. stand up comedy there midway through the semester, and that's kind of how I like. That was like my introduction to the department, you know, because I didn't to anybody who was you know older than me and Jonas, you know, I mean anybody uh, sophomore and above. I hadn't really met many of those people yet, and that was. Yeah. Going to cabaret and being like, you know, the first time you just go and you watch people do stuff and then you're like, well, I'll do my thing next time. And, um, and that was great. And I really that's when I started to feel like by the end, by this point, like right before Thanksgiving, I was starting to feel like, oh, yeah, OK. All right. Cool. I'm excited for next semester. You know, I was you starting to get footing, there. Yeah. yeah. It took a couple months, though, of being not miserable, but just feeling really weird and awkward of and course. lonely. But um, did you go home a lot? Did you find yourself going I home did a lot? At first, uh-huh. Yeah, my friend. Yeah. I had a friend from high school, Kim Southwick, um, and we would go home every weekend. We would get in the car like Friday after class. We'd be like, all right, get get out of here. Didn't want to didn't hang out, you know, meet girls, drink, do anything on the weekends at college that might be considered <laughs> fun or collegiate. I would just <laughs> go home and I would see if I had high school friends who were there. Or I'd just hang out with my family or I just wanted to be home and just be comfortable for a couple of days. And then Monday morning I would come back and go to class. So I had a dorm at Hofstra, obviously, but I was like every weekend going home because I just was like, I don't know, I was nervous to be there on my own. I'm sure you were. I mean, and, and, you know, when you're not in, there were, I'm sure we all had guys, if not that were our roommates that were around us in the towers or wherever we were living that were frat guys. And it was always, it was always, you know, they were always perfectly nice and whatever, but it was always a different, it was just a different feel of what college was. And you'd, you'd go to a bar with (laughs) them once or whatever. And that was, that was, I mean, for me, it was like, all right, I, I understand what this is and I don't need to experience that. that It's not what I'm I'm here for. I remember being at the cafeteria in the Netherlands there, the Netherlands 
Commons is like one of the dorms at Hofstra yeah. University. And they had a, a big cafeteria and I was a freshman and I was sitting by myself having my dinner, whatever, and watching like some, a pledge being like Haste. bossed around, like Aye. to go get food for like these guys. And I remember getting so angry. I remember being hot with anger mm. and being like, I know I'm sitting here alone. I know, but fuck i don't want if that's what i gotta do get up i'm like i'll make new friends but i'm not gonna go and like fucking go fetch burgers for assholes who are older than me (laughs) as a sign of solidarity or some shit i was like i'm not gonna go in the back alley and fight della reese and shoot off a pinky toe (laughs) i mean that i did twice that's crazy that's what we had to do for alpha psi omega at least that's what i had to do (laughs) to get in there they're like all right absolutely so take this riverside shakespeare <laughs> Smack Della Reese over the head. Whoever comes out a winner. Oh, you're God. In. Oh, let's all shoot the metaphorical pinky toe off of Harlem Nights. In 1938, the Nights belonged to Harlem. The place to be was Club Sugar Rays. The man to know was quick. Now, when you see quick, I suggest you guys make plans to go elsewhere. You, I ain't afraid of going up against Smalls or Calhoun. That's because you're young. <laughs> Come on! Full of vigor. I work for Mr. Calhoun. What kind of work do you do? Whatever's required. What would a woman that fine want in a big, fat, nasty, greasy, 12 sandwich eating? What does she want with it? Oh, and she likes fat guys. In the waning days of Prohibition, Sugar Ray, played by Richard Pryor, and his adopted son Quick, played by Eddie Murphy, run a speakeasy called Club Sugar Ray. Why not? It's just sitting right there. When gangster Bugsy Calhoun, played by Michael Lerner, learns that Sugar Ray's place is pulling in more money than his own establishment, the Pity Pat Club... Right there. It's a terrible name for a club. It sounds like chill. Like, like chill. It sounds like a daycare. The Pity Pat Club. Of course, you're not going to do well. Sugar Ray. That's like a boxer's name. Come on, Pity Pat. The Pity Pat Club. Come drink here. Anyway, when that place shockingly isn't doing well, he pays corrupt cop Phil Cantone, the perpetually giggling Danny Aiello, to close Club Sugar Ray down. Quick doesn't exactly help the situation when he falls for Calhoun's girl, Miss Dominique LaRue, played by Jasmine Guy, after Waylon Flowers' puppet Madam proved unavailable. <laughs> Guys... Oh, Harlem Knights had the best <laughs> debut of the week by far, earning $16.1 million, uh, but went on to earn only $60.8 million in total, which sounds good, but eh, not as good as the other two movies that week. <laughs> Fred and Dan, what do you guys think of Harlem Knights? This movie is so obviously an ego stroke for 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 Eddie Murphy that it's hard it's hard to think about anything else as you're watching it right exactly i mean it, it's 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 he's not he's not hiding the fact that it's like look what i'm doing here look how amazing i 
am and look how everything about it is just like, I have arrived as a writer director. It's like, you have not arrived because no one is telling you the things you need (laughs) to hear, which is you got to cut stuff. You got to edit. You got to rewrite that. You got to rewrite that. You got to rewrite that. You got to get in other writers who know how to write and, and structure plot and dialogue and story. You have to develop Characters develop your characters. They can't be the same at the end as they are at the beginning. No one changes in this. There's no character development. There's no, it's, it's deeply misogynistic. How many (laughs) women get punched and shot and everything else? The, the, the one interesting female character in it, sunshine, it, it is not seen before or after she saves the day. She is the character who you could develop as someone who literally saves the day. Uh, but she is not, she has no relationship with anyone in the movie before she shows up in that bar scene where she meets the, the bad it's man. So, yeah, it's at, so disjointed. Nor does she show up at the end. She's not there at the end unless I missed her. She's not there no. when they, in essence, drive off into she's the sunset. A device. Yeah, it's like a whole not, sidetrack the, the movie goes on. Yes. You're like, who are these people now yeah. at an hour and 15 minutes in or whatever? You know, it's very weird. Yeah. Two right. thirds of the way. It's very strange. She is not given any credit for saving the day and 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 helping the helping the protagonists, the heroes accomplish their thing. She does not drive off into the sunset with them at the end. It is it's pointless. Um, two thirds of the way through this movie, a full two thirds of the way you have the seed of a great idea. In the scene between Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy, where Richard Pryor says, What are they going to put on your tombstone? Here lies a man, 27 years old. He died, but he ain't no punk. You know, when you die, when you're 89, you got your children and your grandchildren around the bed, that's cool. It ain't cool to die at 27. I'm not going to let you do that to yourself. I'm not going to let you do it to me. Because they kill you, they're going to have to kill me. Because I'm going to kill them. I was like, start the movie there and build that relationship between this fa- this essential father son, and there's your movie. But you don't get it until two thirds of the way through. This this movie doesn't, you know, nothing happens in this movie of consequence that develops the characters beyond what they are at the first moments. It's really bad. That also that moment doesn't make sense either because literally the first thing. That Richard Pryor's character sees Eddie Murphy do is kill, shoot a man in the head, yeah, and then he kills someone else. I mean, he's like, that's why I, 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 I agree in with the least you. I mean, bloody it, killing I've ever seen I, in a movie. No, yeah. no, shoot somebody through the head, not yeah. a drop of blood. Yeah. Red, Fo- no. Red Fox says, "I'll clean this up." I'm like, "Clean what up? It's clean." There's no. <laughs> he's there's talking nothing. about the ripple that he spilled. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> with gravy. So. Every time you open up your mouth, you give away your ignorance. No, I, that, that's crazy. what it should yeah. have been about. It should have been more of like, here's the thing. When this movie first started, I didn't see it when it first came out. I remember no, there was a lot of buzz about it because it was like a big deal. It was Eddie Murphy. He, was, he wrote it, directed. Richard Pryor, Red Fox. Like, yeah. there was a lot of buzz behind it. Legends uh, in it. But um, so when it first started, like I've said this about many movies that we've watched <laughs> on this podcast. It first starts and I was going, oh. Wait a minute, I'm getting a little excited because I'm going, there's like some Joplin playing in the background or at least an mm-hmm. approximate, like Herbie Hancock, like an approximation yes. of, of Scott Joplin music. I thought, oh, this is going to be like the Sting. This is going to be like ah. a, a, a Harlem set black, the Sting. This yeah. is going to be great. They're gamblers. And, and that's what it wants to be, clearly, right? Yeah. That's where it goes, and, right? But it, 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 as soon as it, so I was getting excited 
And then as soon as they got to that scene, like just the guy taking out the knife, it was staged so poorly. Like right from, I was going, oh no, oh no. Okay, so Eddie Murphy doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't doesn't know how to direct. He doesn't know how to stage things. And the problem is with the sting, I was confused so much at the time, but then it all, as it unfolds, you go, oh, yeah. he spends so much time <laughs> explaining things that the, the dialogue is so, so bad. And there's, I mean, there, there's, he doesn't know how to, there's no sense of suspense at all. No Everything pace. is being, it's, no all the dialogue is expositional. It's clunky. Everything is being explained. Uh, you know, the, with the sting, it's like with the sting or even with Ocean's Eleven, we talked about that last episode mm-hmm. with the ensemble movies, with movies like that, they're always ahead of the audience. As right. an audience member, you're trying to catch up. Here, he's explaining everything, you know, he's the, well, if we do this, then this will happen. And it's just, right. so there's not a big surprise. And then it's just, yeah, it's con- things are confusing and there's nothing clever about it. And it doesn't know what it wants to be. There's, there, I mean, there, oh God, the Arsenio Hall scene. Oh, it's just oh. fucking painful. That was oh. so bad. You know, like, so painful. Either make it a ridiculous, like Johnny <sighs> Dangerous, like comedy or make it the sting. You can't. You can't keep jumping back and no. forth, and even the thing with the um with the gun under the pillow, with Jasmine yeah. Guy, where <laughs> he's got a whole monologue to the camera, where it's just Eddie Murphy being cute. I thought I was the only person who slept with his guns under the pillow. Look at that little gun! Oh, <laughs> Coming Friday, November seventeenth, at theaters everywhere. You don't There's need any of that. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that because he actually can't write. And I actually think that part of, I mean, yeah. he can write. He's a great comedian. Yeah. yeah. But I think I was like, I don't see him having the patience to write it because whenever he's <laughs> on screen, either by himself or taking the lead in the scene, it's all just messy improv. That's not written stuff. That's no, just no, no, you it's improvised. spinning off track. And either it's that he wrote a script and he's like, well, I can improv because I'm Eddie Murphy and I can improv. And That's it. But I don't even think it's that. I think it's like it's mm. not really written. And he's like, well, I'll do my thing here. And, you know. Uh, help me with the stuff. I don't, first of all, he's like 20 something years old still at this point. It's hard to, when you see like written and directed and produced and blah, blah, it's like, it's a total vanity project. He's not, he's a brilliant, brilliant comedian and great actor, but he's, you know, that's a lot to be, you know, Paul Thomas but Anderson a can do that. Is fine. The it, it, I have mm, nothing against, I, no, no, no. I, I have nothing against vanity. If you have that, Kenneth Branagh no, did I, it. Henry V is a, is a vanity project. What do you you don't think about or. Oh, yes, Henry yes. I, I, uh, yeah, but he like, didn't write Henry the Fifth. He's, yeah, he's like, he's right. like he didn't? I can direct and I can act, and here's a really good script here that will show me the way. I have nothing against uh, uh, actors uh, uh, saying, hey, I want to do this. I want to I want to no, get, you but you've got, you got to put in the time to figure out what you're doing. And, and you obviously have, to have that gift. You have to be able to do it. Yeah, Warren Beatty can do it. A lot of people can do it. Yeah, this was like what I saw. Yes, yes. A lot of people can do it. It, this was like, I watched it. I was like, this is basically threat level midnight. So if you know the office, yes. it's threat level midnight. It's a guy wants to be like a cool, sexy That's from the office, Dan. action guy. It's from the I office. Steve Carell plays Michael, Michael Scott, Scott yes. writes a movie oh, great. called yeah. threat level midnight, an action movie where he plays a character <laughs> called Michael Scarn, who is basically James Bond and Jason Bourne and everybody mixed together great. and every woman loves him. And he has all these cool catchphrases and kills people. And, and the plot makes no sense, but it kind of looks and feels like movies he's seen. Yes. That's what this feels like. This yes. is Eddie Murphy's threat level midnight. 
Red Level Midnight makes all the girlies feel all right. From Madonna to Madeline, all bright. Threat level midnight. It's a threat. A level. A level. Level threat. It's embarrassingly bad. Yeah. Because yeah. I've never seen a movie that makes me think of threat level midnight and this is the first one that did and i'm like that's it that's what it is when you're just like i can do it so i'm going to do it even though i'm not able to do it that's what this is and it's yeah. uh, you know i'll say the things i liked uh, there's one thing i liked i actually thought richard pryor was i enjoyed richard pryor in it but he's not funny in it, jay he's not he he's not do a funny single funny thing i don't it. care i don't care he was natural and i like i just when he talked i believed him I thought he was good. I thought he was good. I thought he was like, I'm going to try to. And I think he even, I mean, Eddie Murphy didn't write a funny part for him either, but, or whoever wrote the movie didn't write a funny part for him. But you know, the thing about this movie was I, I didn't remember anything about it except it was like, oh, wow. You know, these two guys who were like the African-American kings of comedy who, you know, Eddie Murphy was always inspired by Richard Pryor, loved Richard Pryor, did an impression of Richard Pryor, owes so much to Richard Pryor. And Richard Pryor notoriously was like, felt very kind of jealous and you know it's like here's the young kid coming up and like would get a little like self-conscious about Eddie Murphy's success and fame and talent and then they're together like they're they were a team and the poster is them and I remember thinking this is cool like these two different generations of genius coming together like that's the story is these guys coming together and the sparks flying and yes it's not that at all because He's playing the, the fatherly, you know, the, the the voice of wisdom and everything. And he, but he's great. I think he's great. He's Eddie Murphy's spoken about that. He, this is when Richard Pryor was first starting to deal with MS and no one knew. So that might've had. Okay. Because I was going to ask I, about that. Okay. That yeah. Sense. Cause I did read something very briefly that, um, uh, that Eddie Murphy, you know, said that he sort of felt a bit hung out to dry when, he was writing it because I guess he he I, I guess his expectation was that he was going to be doing it together with Richard Pryor that they were going to be working on it together oh, and that never happened. So he's like, they were great on the set, but it wasn't you know he was a nice guy and we got along, but he wasn't there the way I thought he was going to be there. Oh, so interesting because so that might be huh. it because it does make sense that it would be more of like. You know, that uh, the Paul Newman, Robert Redford, you know, the old guard, mm-hmm. new guard, yeah. you know, or even like, a, a you know, a George Clooney, Matt Damon relationship, you know, like they have an Ocean's Eleven or there should have been more of that. And maybe that's what it was. You know, I don't who, I, who knows? I, I don't know, yeah. but maybe that's what it was that Eddie Murphy was hoping for that and was like, well, I'm not getting that. So. How do I pad this all? And then I guess I'm going to have to make it more about me uh, because that's what that's that's what the movie that's what it should have been. He obviously just didn't have anyone telling him, you know, or, or giving him any guidance or telling him what to do. Even the editing. I mean, it, it wasn't. Look, right from the start, like I said, there was that opening scene. I'm like, oh, this is good. Oh, no, this isn't good. As soon as they got into the, you know, the staging of the knife fight. But then, you know, when I really thought, oh, God, there's so someone is just letting him go. There was a scene. It was like a five minute sequence of Eddie Murphy walking into the character of Smalls's room, just calling out the name Tommy. Tommy. <laughs> yeah. It was literally just five minutes of him going, Tommy, you there? Tommy. 
Tommy. It was interminable. We, <sighs> as audience members, we know the character is dead. The scene before, right. we saw no yeah. him get killed. Right. So there's no suspense. To. There's no reason to have this there. I, I was, that's really was the moment where I thought, oh, he doesn't really know what he's doing. And I don't know. Maybe if he was left out to dry in that way, um, you know, because we all know Eddie Murphy's very talented, you know, and and it's very hard to make a movie and to be in charge. This should have been a fast paced, you know, um, hour, 80 minute to an hour and a half. Tight, tight, you know, get rid of the fight with Della Reese. Get rid of the Arsenio oh, scene. This, this scene is, this show is basically, this movie is basically set piece, long, you know, it's broken up between long set pieces. The big fight in the alley mm-hmm. with Della Reese is a long, over long set piece. The big scene with Jasmine Guy is an over long set piece. The big scene with Arsenio is an over long set piece. Trim those way down. Get, move the, move the, the relationship stuff between the father and son way earlier and then develop your movie from that relationship and have a female character that that um, affects us in some way, affects the plot in some way. Get a strong female, write a strong female lead character uh, and then, you know, and then make your movie, make your movie from there. There's really just uh, it, it, I don't know that there was no one telling him. I have a feeling plenty of people were either wanting to tell him or telling him and. Mm. You know, he, wasn't he probably wasn't listening um, because you could have saved this movie or made it a better movie in the editing room. You really could have. You could have yeah. trimmed yeah, 25 right. minutes off of this thing easily, easily. But he's holding on to scenes because he thinks they're interesting scenes. It's exactly what you said, Jay. It's like, oh, this will be interesting if I do this. This will look cool. I've always wanted to have this in a movie. So that'll be a cool thing for people to look at. And it's like, no, Eddie, that's not a cool thing for people to look at because it doesn't serve your characters in any way. Sometimes you watch a movie and you're like, wow, all these, all these good actors they're good actors, but they're so bad in this. Why are they so bad? How have they been misled? I will say the actors are like, I thought Richard Pryor was good. Michael Lerner, always great. Danny Aiello, I thought was really yeah. good. I thought Della Reese was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, the perform now, whether that's the Eddie Murphy, you know, because I do think Eddie Murphy also is a great actor who was not, you know, who was seen as a comedian more than an actor, but I think he is a great actor. So, and I, so I will give him that, that maybe his, his eye as a great actor working with good actors means that even if, if other stuff is failing him, he's still, I don't know if he's bringing the performance out or it's just, I've got good people and I got out of their way, which is also great. That's fine. But I was surprised for as weak as I thought the movie was, I was like, it's none of these people's fault, you know, and sometimes yeah. you feel like, oh, this guy's letting me down or this guy's like he's normally so strong and here he's lost. I didn't feel that way about really anybody except poor Jasmine guy who was also perfectly fine. She's probably. No, a, I found her wooden, utterly wooden. She, she, she wasn't given anything to on. do except I get agree licked. with you. Oh, I agree with you. Uh, that's what I'm saying. You. It's not her but, fault. I, he gave her nothing. That script sure. gave her nothing. And you would think you, you thought like, oh, well, now we're going to see the development of this character. And the development is she I does. get her into bed. It's like he saw a different <laughs> world and he was like, I would like to lick that actress and, and then, then kill it. her. And then. <laughs> 
And she's like, all right. You know, he probably didn't say that up front. He's like, I want you to be the female lead in my movie. And then she's like, I get licked and killed on page 34. He's like, yes. Anyway. Anyway. Look at Fred. Look at Fred's face. He's been, he's been ready to, as he was ready to move on from our stories at the beginning, as he was ready to move on from the Hofstra frat stories, he's now ready to move on. From this to get to solar babies as quickly, <laughs> quickly as possible. No, you were all very animated. And I was thinking we all started to talk at the same time. And I thought there's no way I'm going to be able to mix that. So I'm just going to shut up and let them go for a while. Because <laughs> I'm like, I can't, I can't possibly mix it. And I can't possibly add anything to the discussion on Harlem Nights. Because it's like a two Sheila movie for me. You're at two? Yeah. Where are you, Jason? I'm at three. Oh. <sighs> I'll come right in the middle. That's what she said. That's my joke. Damn it, Dwight. Oh, right yeah, yeah. in the middle of Della Reese's toes. <laughs> oh, no. At a 2.5. When, when <laughs> Della Reese and Red Fox began to banter three quarters of the way through the movie, I was like, that's also your movie. Put that earlier. <gasps> yeah. That was fine. And, and Red Fox also good. You know, I mean, Red yeah. Fox, Red Fox, delightful didn't have enough to do but yeah no it's it's that's right where it sits right pulled <laughs> between Delrice's toes uh, 2.5 average Harlem uh, Nights everybody uh, <laughs> with his but we thought. did get a lot of people who uh who chimed in with their their favorite ensemble movies yes yeah, we, we threw that out there from our last episode very good uh, what we got some we, good ones you know a lot of people mentioned Hold on, I'm killing time now. I got to find them now. We the Outsiders, right? People mentioned with, The Outsiders. Uh, yeah, yeah friend. Uh, Christy mentioned Christine. The Outsiders. A lot of people mentioned The Big Chill. Oh, right. That was yeah. mentioned there. Yeah, yeah, you're not a fan of The Big Chill, are you? I don't like it. I also haven't seen it since 1990, but yeah. I didn't oh, like okay. it at the time. Uh, we got, let's train. see, uh, Bullet Train was mentioned. Many people agreed with Love Actually. Das Boot. Was mentioned. Das Bullets Boot. over Broadway. Oh, that's which a, is a great one. one. That's a good that's one. Friend Frank mentioned that. A Fish Called Wanda was brought up. Mm. Um, what else? Clockwork Orange, Train Spotting, oh. Victory, Victoire, Victoire. Oh my gosh. Remember What's the movie? Stallone. Stallone, Stallone Pele, Pele. Michael Caine, yeah. <laughs> that's the oddest ensemble ever. I don't know. Yeah. This was in the, the theaters. Uh, Gosford Park, MASH was brought up. Sure. Uh, yeah, all the old ones, yeah. Uh, Murder by Death. Our friend Al yes. said was an amazing yes. ensemble. Uh, yes. it, is. It, 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 it dates poorly. Kate and I watched it this year because we were just in Murder Mysteryville between we were going to do. I did That's a lot true. of murder mystery stuff this year between the the Holmes and Watson we did and then Play That Goes Wrong and now The Mousetrap. This year has been Murder Mystery. So we watched Murder by Death. I was like, you got to see this, honey. It's fantastic. It's Fun. It ages poorly. It's racism, <laughs> Peter Falk, especially. Right? It's Peter Falk is fantastic. Everybody's good, but you know Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers. Man, <laughs> he did. He he didn't meet an, a, a Chinese character. He did not want to portray on screen. I mean, I'm like, what are you doing? He basically plays Charlie Chan, and it's like, right. no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, and no. another. Another one that was mentioned by our friend Tim Warenko, I apologize, by our friend Tim Warenko, ah. was, I uh, just turned to Scooby-Doo, was still Magnolias. He actually mentioned that before. Yeah. Dan mentioned it in his uh, honorable mentions, too. Actually, oh, yeah. he, did, right. he did mention still Magnolias. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Tim had some very good ones and he had a couple others that I was like, oh yeah, that's a great. He mentioned the Muppet movie, Steel Magnolias, Mm -hmm. Ocean's Eleven, Knives Out, The Outsiders and Sneakers. Oh, right. Sneakers. Sneakers. I never saw that. Robert Redford, Sidney Poitier. Oh, yes. uh, Yes, yes, yes. I haven't seen that in ages. Ackroyd? Is Ackroyd in there? I feel like I'm uh, possibly maybe. Yeah. Oh yeah. Could he be. might be actually. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 But he wasn't mm. in Steel Magnolias. <gasps> oh, that's Fred Segway. That's right. Steel <laughs> Magnolias is a movie that Fred just watched. Will he remember anything about it? Only time, Only time will tell. He should know it better than anybody. He should be able to recite it. He <laughs> just <laughs> five seconds ago he watched it, people. He turned off right. Solar Babies, turned on Steel Magnolias, <laughs> and went, This is pretty much the same movie. <laughs> More roller skates, less sun. Same movie. Slightly more Dukakis. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Time has made them close. Life has made them friends. (laughs) Steel Magnolias, the funniest movie that will ever make you cry. What the fuck are you talking about? What does that got to do with anything? Malin, played by Sally Field, is the mother of bride-to-be Shelby, played by Julia Roberts. And as their friend Truvy, played by Dolly Parton, fixes the women's hair for the ceremony at her beauty shop, they welcome a helping hand from aspiring beautician Anel, played by Daryl Hannah. During the joyful preparations, Shelby has a diabetic health scare. And we learn that doctors have said her condition doesn't bode well for her hopes of having children. Time passes as the women of this Louisiana town, including Olympia Dukakis and a scene-stealing Shirley MacLaine, encounter tragedy and good fortune, growing stronger and closer in the process. Steel Magnolias earned only $5.4 million over its opening weekend on its way to a domestic haul of $84.6 million and a robust worldwide figure of 96.8 million. Fred and Dan, what'd you guys think of Steel Magnolias? Well, yeah, I mean, I literally just watched it. I'd never seen it before. I've never seen Me Steel neither. Magnolias oh my before. Real, neither yeah. of you had seen it before. No. no oh my I've only seen the big scene, I mean, in which we'll wow. talk about later. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, we've talked about this before, and uh, when it came out, it, it wasn't I had no interest in seeing a movie like this. There was no, it held no interest Same. in me. Um, only because, you know, I, I, there was nothing. I was like, well, I'm at this point, I'm all like full in, you know, my De Niro and Scorsese mode and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I don't want to see a bunch of Southern women, you know, in a hair salon crying and blah, blah, blah. And I, <laughs> it, I just thought, you know, why, why? So I never saw it. Um, and I was also an animal. According to my mom, you know, I, I refused to watch Terms of Endearment and she, uh-huh. she yelled at me because, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it seemed like it was in that world as well. And I still, I still, still haven't seen Terms of Endearment. <gasps> oh, for God's sake. I, I saw Terms of Endearment in the theater. Oh yeah, my I God. I, was I know. I hear it's I great. I'll get one of these days. Oh, I'll, get so it, I'll get to it's it. That's good. what I hear. You got to schedule good. it. Got to make you watch it. Got to put it on the mm-hmm. schedule, make you watch it. Do it. I'd love to see it. I hear it's amazing. Anyway, mm-hmm. this, uh, yeah, this was okay. This was good. I enjoyed it. I, I was, it was fine. Wow. Uh, they're, they're all, uh, all, I'm still, I'm still exhausted from staying up till, you know, one thirty watching Solar Babies, then getting up at 5.30 to watch Still Magnolias. Oh my God, but it was, uh, it was, <laughs> no, I'm just an idiot again. No. 
They're, they're all wonderful. They're, they're yeah. great. Uh, I mean, that, that's what it is. It's just watching this, this group of fantastic actresses, um, you know, just sort of inhabit these wonderful, rich characters. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a culture that I don't know much about, you know, being born and raised in New York. So it's nice to get that little slice of life, um, in the Southern community. And it's about, you know, these women being there for each other. So I, I think it, if you, if you get that right in a movie, if you get the right, you know, it, it, when it, when it's a movie about that, about that camaraderie of a community centered around one central location, um, you know, if you can do that right and you get the, 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 the right cast, then it's, 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 you know, it's lovely to watch and they all do, uh, great work. There was no one that sort of, took me out of it at all. I lo- uh, um, Olympia Dukakis was great and Shirley MacLaine oh, so uh, were, were wonderful. I, it's always, I always love watching Tom Skerritt and anything. It was fun to see him sort of being <laughs> yeah. light and, and silly. Yes. Um, and then, you know, I mean, it was, it, unfortunately, I knew where it was going. Yeah. I knew, I knew the ending, you know, I know that, you know, spoiler alert, you have two seconds to fast forward to turn yeah. off. If you haven't seen some Magnolias, all right, sorry, you're fucked. Julia Roberts dies, you know. What? I Yeah, I I knew that was coming, so um it every time you, you predicted thought something it, was you ca- predicted it or you had heard. No, I'd heard. It's just the oh, movie's okay. been it's it's, it's, it's the it's, one it's, scene that I know from the movie that they would show all the time. They showed like it all what, the time, uh, yeah. On Siskel and Ebert um, for the Oscars, it's like Sally Fields breakdown. And then the really great, super effective moment of Olympia Dukakis, like being like, take it out on Shirley MacLaine. That's the best and part of the really movie. really funny. It's, it is. It's the <laughs> finest moment because Sally Field has this really big, emotional, wonderful scene. And then it's broken. Like the tension is broken in, in truly broken in very satisfying fashion. And they yeah. use that clip everywhere. It's all I've yeah. ever seen in the movie and I've seen it many times. But here's times. the thing, because of that moment yeah, when it absolutely. got there, I mean, I was literally, I mean, this sounds so cheesy, but it's true. I was laughing through my tears at that point. No. So because you could say that, you know, you could say that the movie, you know, is maybe goes into a little bit of melodrama by the end, but the fact that that moment works to me, that, that, that was the, you know, the moment of the movie and it only works because of all the work done before. If you weren't invested in the, if you didn't know if the characters weren't so well defined and built up, I don't think that moment would have worked as well. And so I just, when that happened, I thought, oh, this was a perfect moment. And it, you don't get that many times in movies and or plays, you know, it did, but it, it worked. I'm like, that's, that's it. This is perfectly dramatically, comedically placed. I, I just want to hit somebody until they feel as bad as I do. I just want to hit something. I want to hit it hard. <laughs> Here, hit this. Go ahead, Malin, slopper. Are you crazy? Are you high, Clary? Clary, have you lost your mind? We'll sell t-shirts saying I slapped Weezer Boudreaux. Soon after, I thought, well, okay, so I must have liked everything building up for it to work. Does that make sense? It does. It does. It makes total sense. Because the movie does have, and especially because we've seen so many things like it, and uh, it, it, there's a, there's a, I don't want to say it's formulaic, but I mean, we've seen these 
And the movie's about female bonding and and these quirky characters and, you know, Southern bells and and a disease, you know, disease of the week thing, like where the disease comes in and upends the lives of the characters and how they deal with it with grace and nobility and this and that. And we've seen all the tropes before. So it falls into a category where you might find it easier to dismiss until you really until it all comes together and hits you and you're like oh it worked obviously i am invested obviously i cared obviously these characters have uh have made their mark on me because when the moments come when the big pivotal moments come when they work then you know the whole thing works but you kind of almost don't know until that moment you're like i'm waiting to see what the movie does to me and then when it does it you're like okay bravo I would rather have 30 minutes of wonderful than a lifetime of nothing special. Julia Roberts, I remember thinking oh, dynamite because she was so young and and I don't know if it was her it wasn't her first movie, but no, she I, I think she had Mystic Pizza and a couple Mystic of other things pizza. under her belt. Wait, was this before like, Pretty Woman? Yeah, right like before, three months right before. before. Pretty oh, Woman's like February okay. of 1990. And, and you can uh, see there's a star on the rise here on a fast, oh, yeah. super, you know, rocket ride to stardom because she is she's so good. awesome in this. Yeah, she's she's nominated really for an Oscar for it. You know? Was she the only nomination Kate and I were trying to uh, I think so. Yeah. I didn't look it up. Like she, Kate was like, Sally Field wasn't nominated. I was like, I don't think so. I, seem I know to I was remember, surprised by that too, but no. I seem to remember the thing is you had all of these stellar actresses and many of them Oscar nominees in the past and yeah. all household name superstars everybody Mm -hmm. except for julia roberts and she was the one who had the nomination to my recollection and i remember thinking like what come on but (laughs) i hadn't seen it but and it was before i you know we all learned who she was but you watch this and you're like yeah that's it's it's undeniable and all the different places she goes and all the different things she does and all the the emotions and even even that that the diabetic uh, See, oh, which could be could be laughable. It, in other it was great. It, that's the scene the for me. Show. That's it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's why I was like, well, that's where she. I, it, there were several times during this where I was like, well, that's what got her the nomination. Well, that's mm-hmm. what got her the nomination. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, when you have four of those, then yes. you're like, <laughs> you, you got to get the nomination. <laughs> exactly. And and um, that, you know, you 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 wind up going, this is, uh, I can see how this person, you know, how, how could she not have become a su- the most famous superstar, you know, uh, yeah. uh, uh, actress in the, in the world very soon after this, you just, you just go, okay, this is the, this is the next, uh, the next big star. You, you really get it. And it's because her work is so damn specific at this young, young age. She is yeah. so bold and it's such a big leap and to be to be there with these legends like Shirley MacLaine and and Sally Field and to be doing that, it's like, wow, Julia Roberts, my gosh, it's a it's a it's it's a terrific uh, performance. And that's the that's the hook in for me right from the get go from with this movie. And uh, uh, I love this movie. I absolutely love it. And, and I like it more and more every time I watch it. And this mm. is a, a favorite of my wife. And she, I hadn't really, you know, I mean, it was in the exact same boat as you, Fred. It's like, I have no interest at this at age 16, 18, all, yeah. all of my twenties, most of my thirties, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and, the, and, the, mm. and, uh, you know, my wife kind of 
the first time I watched this beginning to end was with her. And I was like, oh, this is great. And every time I watch it, I bawl like a baby. It's a, it's a complete mess and the snot is running down. I'm just so hooked into this. Um, but what what struck me this time is the more subtle, the more subtle thing that the movie is doing, which is by relegating Tom Skerritt, Sam Shepard, Dillman Muldowney, uh, <laughs> uh, Shirley MacLaine's little boyfriend by sort of, by sort of relegating them to, so, and, and the stories about the other boyfriends or spouses by kind of relegating them to second tier. It's, it's the opposite. It's the through the looking glass version of what Eddie Murphy's doing with Jasmine guy mm-hmm. and the other, and the other yeah. one who plays sunshine who I need to look up her. I can't remember her name um, in, in that movie is sort of saying, okay. And these are the second tier characters who are, who are in essence, you know, um, we're not going to give them as much dimension that, that, but what this movie is doing is saying, um, uh, uh, in essence, look at what, look at what other movies have done so often, you know, uh, to mm-hmm. women. And, yeah. and it's so great when Sally Field has that speech at the end, it really struck me this time where she's like, you know, um, drum and, uh, I can't remember Delbert, uh, Mulzowney's, um, character's name, but when they leave the, she's talking about them leaving the room and she stays, you know, the, the hospital room and she's like, and I thought that, that the men were, you know, I thought men were supposed to be made of steel and you go, Oh, that's where the title comes from. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah, yeah. These are steel and they're also flower. They're also beautiful flowers. And then the, uh, and the other scene that got me so hard. And I, I always questioned the Sam Shepard character always. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't need, I don't know if I need this guy, but man, did I get it this time because of that scene where he goes, you know, if anything like that ever happened to me, I don't know what I'd do. And the yeah. tears well up in Dolly Parton's eyes. Yeah. I'm getting, yeah. I'm getting choked up talking about it right now. And, and he goes, what's this for? And she looks at him with tears in her eyes and says, it's to make you pretty. And holy shit, holy shit. Did that get to me this time? Cause it's like, that's what, that's what the steel magnolias do. That's who they are. You know, is, is mm. the amount mm. of time we idiots wake up in the morning, shave if we're lucky maybe put on a clean shirt and go through our day, you know, and these women, especially these Southern women, and that's why you get the beauty contest woman in there too. They're the time that they're taking to just be presentable, you know, <laughs> to the men yeah. in their lives yeah. and doing everything else on top of it and being steel on top of it and having to be the stalwart and the, and the, the, um, you know, it reminds me of my mom with what she went through with my dad, mm. you know what I mean? With, with his illness and everything and having to be the rock and the steel and the, the thing that holds together the foundation and the framework of the families and the communities. And they got to freaking do their hair and, and, and do their makeup <laughs> and look and, and, and to have Dolly Parton of all people saying it, you know what I mean? Who's never not. <laughs> dolled up. When have you ever right, seen right, Dolly right, Parton right. Yeah, dressed yeah. down? Never. She wouldn't allow it. She's a Southern right. woman. She would never allow that to occur. And she's talked very <laughs> openly about that to have her looking at Sam. I feel like I've got a window into Dolly Parton's soul in that moment. This time, this movie's she's, brilliant. Thing like this just doesn't make any sense. No sense at all. I just keep thinking about what an ale says. The Lord works in mysterious ways. What the hell is this for? 
makes you pretty. She's a national treasure. She's really great. She's oh really God. great. And, and every I mean, scene I go, is, that's but... my new favorite. She's my favorite now. No way. <laughs> right. No, now Shirley MacLaine's my favorite. No way. It's Olympia Ducat. I have a new favorite. Daryl Hannah is brilliant in it. Never seen a Daryl Hannah like that. And that's great casting because I was say, that's the of best Splash, time. right? It's like, oh, she's the, she, she's yeah. the, you know, a few years earlier, she was the, the, the Julia Roberts. Right? Yeah. And, and yeah. to have her sort of be the, the bookish, you know, has her moment of sin or whatever, but she's, she's the bookish, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, devout one is always praying is fantastic. It, it, this yeah, she is was a, really good. So, yeah, so I liked good. her. I was, I was very impressed with her, uh, her, the, her, you know, dressing down and awkwardness that, uh, I yeah. thought she did a really lovely job. With I it. love how she becomes a little clone of Dolly Parton as it goes on. You know, yeah. I, th- I like right. that so much that she gets accepted into the, you know, given the job and accepted into the community. And then you're like, Oh boy, she's doing her hair the same way. She's dressing the yep. same way. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's looking for, we talked about identity and, uh, but you know, she's clearly right. like through the whole movie looking for her identity and finding, you know, who she is. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I've never seen the play. Have you guys ever seen the play? No. And so Robert many, Harry play. and so many people we know have done it. Now, Angie Janice is doing it right now down in Florida. It's very sure. popular. And it, uh, it takes place and... entirely in the beauty shop. Like yeah, there's that's no what other Kate scenes. Was telling me. And it's just mm. the six women. I knew that. Yeah. And I was wondering as I was watching this, you know, like how, I, you know, I wanted to obviously I had enough time to to do some some research on it, but I was very curious <laughs> to see how they how they went about expanding it and what mm-hmm. scenes were. You know, there was as I was watching it, I'm thinking, you know, okay, they're talking outside. Was that originally? Was this dialogue, this exposition originally in the beauty shop? Like, right. how did that work? Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's written, and I guess maybe that's why at at the end with that moment, with that great moment, it did feel like. Oh, I'm watching a great play. This was written by, obviously this was written by a playwright, someone who's like a, a, a not, not that a screenwriter isn't a wordsmith. And I don't mean to say that at all, but it's it great felt, dialogue. Great, great masterful like dialogue. like a play, like a great, yeah, like a really great play. And, Agreed. uh, but also, yeah, go ahead, Fred. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That that was so. But but I, I, I would be very curious to see it on stage and Me to too. see how it works in that way uh, and I, see how they deal with the passage of time. And, and I, um, I think that's, what I don't would be know. Profound I, I kept thinking like, mm. what's that? I think that's what would be more profound about it. Like if you're always in that room and then you see the changes and, and you know, the, uh, the Shelby character, obviously going from that, her hair changing so much. And when mm-hmm. she's at uh, the passage of time and how, when they, she's getting more ill and, and weaker. And then yeah. also to have to have certain scenes like, you know, there's the aftermath of her death is played out, but it's not played out in a cemetery in the moment or in a hospital. Like those scenes are happening in the juxtaposition of, you know, setting these big life event conversations and moments and the aftermath of these things in that one place in the beauty parlor, yeah. Yeah. which, you know, would serve as such a, a kind of a, a form for comedy earlier or a form for just banter. And then it's also the place where you come together and have the big, deep, difficult conversations and the gut-wrenching uh, realizations all in that one location seems like it would be fascinating. I yeah. think that, my, you know, I, it makes me kind of wish even as a film that you could, you know, you could do that. You could do a film and say like, we're just going to keep coming back to the shop and it's going to be a little different every time and whatever. But, yeah. you know, that's not how a, I think today, if they made this movie, they might do something like that. But mm-hmm. uh, there's something about adapting plays for film 
back in the day, it's like, well, we can blow it out. We can make it bigger. We can have more characters. We can have more locations. More we can yeah. tell the story in a more sprawling, quote unquote, realistic way. But I kind of am like, would love to see the play now, which I, I have yeah. never had any interest in the play, but I'd like to see how they handle it and how, mm-hmm. how it, how it would move me seeing it all play out in that one location with just those women. Gosh. I give it a 9.5 gentlemen. I love the crap out of this movie. I am going 8.5. Ambulous. Yeah, I would do 8.5 as well. The more you're talking, I mean, again, granted, I watched it in a very rushed, bleary eyed state. <laughs> so I feel like I could give it another watch, but what, but what you're saying, Dan makes total sense. Uh, and I did think about, you know, it's funny when Sam Shepard first popped up, I always enjoy seeing him in, in stuff, but I thought, wow, he's really, he's not doing anything in this. I'm like, why is he, it's really weird. Like the men are so underwritten. Oh, how many times have Have we said said that about? about, And then I thought, oh, okay. And you just brought it into even greater perspective as well. Um, So, uh, if Dolly Parton went up to him, licked him and killed him, people would be up in arms. (laughs) Eddie Murphy does it to somebody and they're like, well, I mean, what is she, she, she's lucky to be working, right? (laughs) They're all, they're all wonderful. They all have their voices. Their voice wasn't taken away from them. No, 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 no. That's right. But somebody's voice was taken away from her and that person wasn't a person. She was a half fish mutant creature called a baby. Oh, The Little Mermaid. For over 50 years, Walt Disney has turned classic stories into classic animated motion pictures. Now the tradition continues as one of the world's greatest stories becomes the newest Disney motion picture classic. The Little Mermaid. I want to be where the people are. I want to see... Want to see them dancing up where they walk, up where they run, up where they stay all day in the sun. It's the story of Ariel, a beautiful young mermaid who wants to become human. He's very handsome, isn't he? I don't know. He looks kind of hairy and slobbery to me. In Disney's beguiling animated romp, rebellious 16-year-old mermaid Ariel, voiced by Jodie Benson, is fascinated with life on the land. On one of her visits to the surface world, which are forbidden by her controlling father, King Triton, she falls for a human prince, as opposed to, say a human fry cook or insurance salesman. Some people are just luckier than others, I guess. (laughs) Determined to be with her new, conveniently royal love, Ariel makes a dangerous deal with the sea witch Ursula, played by Pat Carroll, to become human for three days. But when plans go awry for the star-crossed lovers, the king must make the ultimate sacrifice for his daughter. Ron Clements and John Musker's classic, featuring incredible music by Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, ushered in a wave of animated excellence at Walt Disney Studios and took the world by surprise, earning only $6 million over its opening weekend, but going on to bring in a domestic total of $111.5 million and a worldwide haul of $211.3 million. Fred and Dan, what'd you guys think? Of The Little Mermaid. So many strong memories of this movie because working at Movie City, I was an usher before I was a box office guy. So I must have just started there at age 16. I wouldn't have been working there at 15. So as an usher, I was always peeking into, there was six theaters there. There was the big one, 
And then they kind of went went down in size to the sixth one, which was the smallest one. And we kept showing Little Mermaid. It moved from the big theater to the medium ones to the small uh-huh. one. And it stayed in our smallest theater, Theater 6, for a long time during the day. Mm-hmm. And I worked a lot of days on the weekend. So I saw Little Mermaid a lot and many times over mm-hmm. and always was just overjoyed by the little kids, always teared up at the end mm-hmm. um, and just fell in love with this movie so many times over as a 16 year old working in this, in the movie theater and going, not, not having any idea really that this was going to sort of herald a new, um, you know, a, a Disney animation Renaissance, but having that feeling of like, this is new, this is a next level. This is a next, next, the next place where Disney is going to go because, you know, post, uh, uh, the, the, there was that sort of in between time for Disney where it was like Fox and the Hound don't really care. Rescuers. I don't really care. You know, there were these movies that were just like, not like the classics, Snow White, Cinderella, Bambi, Dumbo, et cetera. They were sort of in between. And this was doing something else. It was a full, it's a full on musical, full on musical within musical theater structure. Um, Like you said, you said a couple of episodes ago, there's the, we think we were talking about Bugsy Malone. You were like, there's the, I want moment, right? Yeah. I want where you, where the need of a character is expressed and you know what they Mm. want. And Oh my God. And it's so frustrating because watching the little, little documentary that they have on Disney plus about the making of to hear Jeffrey Mm. Katzenberg, you know, go, yeah, I wanted to cut part of your world. And I was like, you'd have no business making film. I mean, he's Jeffrey Katzenberg, obviously he has all the business in the world, making films. but I'm like, you, you're, but the, the fact that every artist that on that. the thing, yeah, yeah to, to not realize you need to think that. And the reason they thought it is because they tested it with a group of local kids from a school, you know, 20 kids or something like that. And a kid dropped his, popcorn during that and the kids were all looking around for you know because this kid had dropped his popcorn jeffrey katzenberg was like oh they're bored by this we have to cut the song and they had to fight like you know like like uh cats and dogs to get this thing back into the movie because the producer wanted it cut and it's the and it's it's the heart of the movie movie. it's the heart of the movie it's the heart of the main character's journey when's it my turn So I, I love this. I, I think it's uh, I don't really ha- I don't know what you can say negative <laughs> about it. I mean, it's no. it's it's so freaking well put together. It's tight. It's perfect. It's beautiful. The songs are great. The the it's funny. It's truly genuinely funny. It makes me laugh out loud. Incredibly um, funny. Yeah. And, and you and you I love all the characters. I love Scuttle. I love her little friend Flounder. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, of course, Sebastian is is terrific and so well voiced and so well sung uh we got to look at samuel all samuel wright who just passed away he was the original Did mufasa he? on broadway you're <gasps> kidding me oh, oh yeah. my gosh well rest his soul he was brilliant yeah, i was looking him up because i'm like my god he's like so 
you think of Ursula, you think of other, but it's like really Sebastian is like kind of the star of this yeah, movie. Kind of is. I, yeah, he kind I, of is. I, you know, he's got he's so got good. That, yeah, um, he's 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 really wonderful. She's a but like, oh, I, yeah. so I didn't see this movie when it first came out, and I saw I saw it later. Um, Again, because I did at the time, you know, I was like, eh, I don't know, D- Disney musical about a mermaid. Eh, what? But then, so I don't. I honestly, I don't remember when I saw it. I don't remember mm. if it was if I saw it after Beauty and the. Because I do remember going to see Beauty and the Beast, which was that was the next one, right? That was oh the next yeah, big that was Disney. two years later, ninety one. Mm-hmm. And is the same directors as this? <sighs> that I'm look. not I know it's making sure. an still, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was like you know, Beauty and the Beast was because of how how rapturously this was received that, you know, right. the, 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 they rolled out the, the carpet, the red carpet and rightly <laughs> so for beauty and the beast and it up the ante on so many things. I still, I prefer this. I, I, I've always, I mm. mostly because of the humor. Oh yeah. I love this. This and Aladdin are, I think, th- I think this still remains like one of the two or three best of the animation renaissance before Pixar kind of took over and ah. became like the standard bearer. I still love this one. I'm sorry, Fred, go ahead. But yeah, no, this was, but, but Beauty and the Beast came uh, on the heels. So I, I might've seen it after Beauty and the Beast. It might've been one of those things where I'm like, oh, well, I, I gotta, I have to watch this. I never saw this, you know, but, um, and then I haven't seen it in a while and it wasn't a big, it's funny Then when, when my kids were born and, and we started to watch, you know, movies with them, I don't, this wasn't on heavy rotation with them. You know, I wasn't watching it. I know Izzy saw it a few times and I think I I watched with her, but it wasn't one of those like heavy rotation movies, animated movies that we watched over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really enjoyed watching it uh, this time and, and, and rewatching it. And, and, and I, I, there's a lot that I forgot and I forgot about, like, I just, oh, you know what? I, I re I saw several years ago. We saw a uh, a local production in White Plains. Mm-hmm. They did the stage version of it. Oh, how's that? Um, uh, it, you know my fr- my friend Sean Palmer, who I thought about asking to see if he wanted to come on and talk for this. He played Prince Eric on Broadway. He was the original Prince Eric. Cool. Yeah. Wow. And um, it did not. It didn't do well. Uh, yeah, the, the, I the show. not getting good reviews. Yeah, not it didn't, as it didn't as, translate uh, well. Mannequin. I remember I auditioned for it. I auditioned for Flotsam and Jetsam. Um, but uh, oh, anyway, but eels, I remember the electric the eels. eels. Yeah. The eels, they were great. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's typecasting, by the way. Yeah, I'm exactly. Because I'm, I'm electric and slimy. But um, it <laughs> no, you're was, electric. You're electric. You're electric. Yeah. So, you but I really, <laughs> this uh, Ursula sort of blew me away in this rewatch. Oh, Pat I'm Carol's getting to that. Yeah, like, I really, so really liked Pat Carroll. It's smoky I wasn't, voice. It's so smoky, you know? Yeah. yeah. I don't know how you do that without smoking a pack a day. If there, well, she probably did. Yeah. Uh, apparently, <laughs> yeah. Elaine Stritch was first hired oh, uh, really? as, as Ursula, oh, but she didn't. She, she they replaced her. Yeah, she was. Um, they originally wanted to be Arthur, which makes sense. Yeah, and then they one. brought in Stritch. I read, but she clashed with Howard Ashman, um, oh. and so they replaced her with uh, with Pat Carroll. Oh. But um, the one, if I was going to say, there's one thing that that is missing for me, and because I because I'm like, wait, did I miss something? It's just her motivation. Uh, Ursula's motivation for it, and apparently that's uh, the, mm. in the sequel they bring it up, and and, and in the stage mm. play in the musical, Triton and Ursula are siblings, and and she's been banished. That's the whole thing that she's been banished for you, for her witchcraft that's or something. So, so interesting, Kate Blanchett kind of thing. Oh, exactly, right. yes, yeah, yeah. totally. 
Totally. It's that's yeah. so interesting because you get a little bit of impression that they have a prior relationship in, in this. Not a sibling one, but a prior something. There's, there, there's something. There's something there. The way she touches his little um his trident <laughs> at one point. Yeah. She sort of she sort of fingers it and it's like, oh hello, trident. You know, and it's like, oh, yes, they had a thing. You're right. You know. Well, speaking of that, speaking of fingering the trident, <laughs> I mean, as soon as no, no, no. And I and I mean Solar this in the best babies. possible way. Oh. When when she showed up, I thought, oh, they when they made this, yes, it's Disney, but someone had to have known that they were making an iconic drag char- drag queen character with this. <laughs> oh, totally. Like they must when they created it, they're like <laughs> totally. they, they must have known that that's what they were doing. I you saw know, f- because I mean four Ursula's for Halloween this year. Like the big guys like <laughs> like walking uh, around dressed as Ursula. Yeah, I mean the production that we saw in, in White Plains of this John Tracy Egan played Ursula. Wow. Uh, and I, I was just like, oh my God, yeah, this character was just Tailor made to yeah. be in like you know the the, the pride parades and stuff. It's incredible. <laughs> and, and actually, and then even at the end, when when Triton threw, you know, when he throws the rainbow into the sky, I was like, "Yes, Daddy!" Ah. It was like this big bear daddy throwing a rainbow in the sky, really and all like funny. the half so naked merman coming out. I was like, "Oh yeah, there was some subversive going on. You know, some there's subversive stuff going on sexuality. here." Sexuality. There's oh. a lot of you know. There's the famous moment where she where ariel finishes the song part of part of your world and she she's against the rock and she on the last note she arches her back against and then there's like this gush of (laughs) like this wave crashing behind her it's very there's something very sexual about and then there was what they were doing they knew what they were doing and wasn't there something i don't know if it's urban legend that the design on the original poster absolutely real castle is like so penile like like, on the box cover of the vhs (laughs) the castle looks like a wang looks like a talking about a dingle hopper speaking of that i was gonna that's uh, speaking of dingle hopper i really thought <laughs> what is it scuttle is that uh, buddy hackett's yeah, buddy character? yeah i love that character and it's a character i never think about or remember but in mm-hmm. this rewatch i thought it's so charming that he's like yeah. the the character who's like well what is this like you know he's the expert you're, you're, you're the what expert in everything and of fun. course he he doesn't know but it's like he gets it wrong but you can understand the way in which he gets it wrong where he's yeah. like oh yeah the, the fork he thinks is for combing your hair and it's like yeah sure and it's so sweet really the way like like historically like the way how like information gets passed at things we don't quite understand but make assumptions about it gets misinterpreted and then it gets passed on through culture and so there's so many things like that in in life right i'm sure that like that you know when we're trying to figure out like well what did this civilization do with this or why you know i mean it goes i just thought it was so charming to kind of distill that into a character who's trying to explain one world to somebody from another world and i thought it was so great. great. I thought the writing was so I good. I really liked him. It surprised and me. His 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 performance and that character, the, exactly what you're saying, took me by surprise and I really liked it. I thought, yeah. wow, it's so honest and charming. Wow. This is special. This is very, very unusual. What? What is it? It's a dingle hopper. Humans use these little babies to straighten their hair out. See? Just a little twirl here and a yank there, and boy, oh, like. Yeah, I got an aesthetically pleasing configuration of hair that humans go nuts over. <laughs> a dingle hopper. You know, going back to what you were saying about Steel Magnolias, it's so much about women not having a voice. 
you know, not yeah. being, a, but, but what's so interesting with that and talking about the old school Disney animation and what you were sort of, you know, referencing in the beginning about, you know, oh, it just happens to be a handsome prince. Um, <laughs> right. And, you know, and that's what the young girls want. They want to marry a prince. I kept thinking with all of that, if this was made today, he would be like, a lot of people have a problem with Frozen and like maybe, you know, what's what's really the plot? Like what's the, the, the big conflict? What What's really interesting about Frozen is they flip that on its head with the prince, you know, is that, um, and I'm blanking on its name, uh, on the prince's name. Eric. Um, oh. Yeah, there's the prince in Frozen. There's the great moment where uh, uh, Anna and the prince first meet and they have that great song, Love is an Open Door. And it's like, oh, we have so much in common. But then, you know, it seems like, oh, this is going to be so perfect. But he's sort of a dick, you know? And it's like, all she wants to do is marry. Right. You know, that's the Disney thing. Right, like, right, little right. girls want to grow up to marry princes. And he winds but, up being the other guy. Right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. This guy's sort of, he, he's, he's sort of a, he, he's a dick. Yeah. And I thought <laughs> if they were making that today, I wonder if Eric might be a little more complicated or also the fact that she does yes she wants to be part of that world but she basically gives up she goes off on her own which is which is lovely in many ways and mm. i was you know very moved as a dad watching that you know like watching you know kenneth mars who was great as trey so you know sort of it was like his tevia you know he was tevia yeah. he was like, no these these are the old ways yes, we don't absolutely. divert from the old ways absolutely um, but i wondered oh, tevia, i wonder if they made good. that Today, if there would be more like, no, she's not going to compromise. She's going to have it. She can have both. You know, uh, like I, I, I can still I don't have to completely oh, give that up, you know, and you sort of get that feeling. You 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 get the feeling that she still has her family and she'll be able to come back. But um, but she's going off on her own. I just wonder if, if mm. so just watching watching it now, thinking of where we are as a society and where animation is. That was yeah. always in the back of my head. Like, ah, huh, I wonder what the tweaks were. That being said, I don't think that takes away from what the movie is, I agree. I mean, I think it's really, it's wonderful. It's funny. It's 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 uh, the 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 music's great. This movie very much is like has its feet in both places and like the old fashioned and the new and old school Disney and classic fairy tale Disney. And like, ooh, what's the next wave this of this renaissance going to be? What I when I saw it, I saw it in the theater. I saw it with my mom and my sister and my sister has always this is her favorite. She Yay. was obsessed, loves Ariel, loves this movie, love, 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 like obsessed. And then that obsession <laughs> carried down, has, has trickled down to my niece, my niece, Marissa loves the little mermaid from when she was a little, little no. girl. And she got to just play Ariel in her school play this <gasps> year. Yeah. She, got, she, wonderful. she got, yeah, she was like in her junior high, she's a sixth grader and she was going up against these eighth graders and she's like, I'm not going to get it. And she got it and she played Ariel and, and I, I saw the crying watching like the video because we missed it. Of course, I was out of town doing a show and didn't get to no. go. And I was like, oh, she's so good. But it's like and I thought how special that must be for my sister who loved this movie so much as a kid. And oh, God, but I saw and I remember sitting in the theater with my mom and my sister at whatever I was, 18 years old and loving it and being 
totally surprised by it and feeling like what a blast of fresh air from D- Disney. I don't know yeah. when I, I, and I don't remember what the, like the great mouse detective, the great the mouse Black, detective, I think was the yeah. Black cauldron at Disney or was that a Don? That was the other thing is that there were like, you were seeing more animation come out of Don Bluth studios than Disney right, land right, right. before time. And an American tale, it was kind of like Disney had kind of, kind of tapped out a little off. bit uh, yeah. and then they came back strong, but they clearly had a plan because when you look at beauty and the beast and Aladdin and all these movies, there's a template. They have the right creative team. There's a template, even in the, the characters, the song, you know, the, 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 uh, these animal foils for the main characters, these villains, these larger than life kind of built for drag queen villains. I mean, Jafar is as much a drag queen as her. <laughs> <laughs> so oh yeah. I mean, ah. But, you know, and even the song, you know, under the sea is be our guest is yes, yes, yeah. uh, a friend Prince like Ali. me, like, and they yeah, all, end, like me, and they all end with like the big, pow, like, yeah. like they, where the camera pulls out, like it's a Broadway musical and everybody's yeah. like there with jazz hands. It's really, <laughs> but I mean, something about it, whatever it's, it's like the way Marvel or well, to a lesser degree, DC or these, like these properties are trying to build a universe and a brand, somebody must have been there at Disney thinking like this is the way forward because all these movies had to be in the pipeline to get like the Pixar's. They take so long to make your planning on like this renaissance was not a mistake. It wasn't like Little Mermaid worked. And oh, how do we replicate? I mean, because you couldn't get Beauty and the Beast out two years later. You know what I mean? Like these were all in the pipeline. Somebody was masterminding this and I don't know who it was exactly. But it's brilliant. What they did was brilliant. And the combination of the the heart and the humor, because that's the thing I came away with was I kept saying as I was sitting there in the theater watching, it, I was like, it's like Looney Tunes as much. And I said this during the Aladdin review, mm-hmm. as much as it's like old school Disney, it has a strain of irreverence and has a, a, a deep well of humor that is more like what I think of when I think of Bugs Bunny and Warner Brothers cartoons. Yeah, fun for adults. Yeah. And, and it's, and it reach the, uh, the, oh, I don't know what the, I, I want to, I'm looking for a highfalutin word that I'm not going to, but the peak of this, at least in this movie is Le Poisson. The apotheosis. When I saw Le Poisson, the apotheosis, that's what I was thinking. Yes. But yes, the apotheosis is Le Poisson. It's so funny. It's Very so Looney Tunes. anarchic. Yeah. It's so Looney yeah. Tunes. Yeah. And I couldn't it kind of blew my mind sitting in the theater i was like mm. disney doesn't do stuff like this walt nope. disney doesn't do stuff like this Sacre what is this how on earth could i miss such a sweet little succulent crab quel dommage what a loss here we go in the sauce now some flour i think just the dab <laughs> now i'll stuff you with bread it don't hurt because you're dead and you're certainly lucky you are <laughs> It was like Disney did their thing. Warner Brothers did their thing. And they were kind of like you could separate them out. There was something more innocent and straightforward and sweet about a Disney cartoon. And and there was always humor and lightness, but not it not like verge into the and this was the first toe in the water. And then they blow it out with Aladdin. And then from then on, you've got things like Hercules and Emperor's New Groove. Oh, yeah. And, and well, then it's just, it's, you know, and, and the movies go back and forth. And then Pixar takes that as well. But like comedy became a really strong driving factor in these films in a way that I don't remember. Because I being. think it's whoever, whoever yeah. was, and I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who their Kevin Feige was either. But I mean, right. obviously someone, someone realized that 
the, and now it's just, we know this is a proven fact. Like if you want to get people in there, you got it. You want to keep the kids there, but you got to keep the parents there as well. You got to keep the adult, you yeah. know, you want the parents to keep coming back as well. So you've got to give them that humor. I mean, which is why a show like the Lion King has been running for so long, you know, uh, yeah. but why, th- all, why these movies became successful, you know, is because there's the stuff that the kids are going to get, but there's stuff that the parents, you know, there, there's a line now that we've added into the show and Lion King where it's um, uh, when Rafiki swings in where it goes, hey, who's the swinger? And the, the, the yeah. line used to be, who's the monkey? And they took that out because, you know, for for obvious reasons, I think mm. they, they thought that it might be inappropriate. But they say, who's the swinger? The kids love it because it's just silly. He's, yeah. he's a Rafiki swinging in. The parents get the other side to that, you know? Um, and I think it's like, that's where someone, and must've been around this time. Someone must, when they, they were, must've been doing some rebranding and thinking what, you know, what do we do? We need to, we need to make, we need to move away from the quaint Disney of the past, you know, where it's, family and make it more family, you know, make it more, right. It's gotta be cool. It's gotta be cool. Yeah. And I think also, and I wonder if, am I, you said this before, Dan, did did Mencken, did Ashman and Mencken, did they do the music for Beauty and the Beast as well? Was that them too? Yeah. Well, I was looking, who directed Beauty and the Beast was Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise. So you have different, uh, you have different, uh, um, folks on Directors, on that one, yeah. but but as far as because the, they're all being made simultaneously, it's like Pixar. Yeah. It's like Brad Bird can't the, do everyone. Who did the music? As far as the music, it's it's uh, it is Ashman and Mencken. Yeah. Okay. Um, because I wonder if that was it as well. I wonder if it was finding because you, you know going back to Little Shop, what 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 what's so great about Little Shop is 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 just so fucking perfect because the music is so simple yet catchy and clever and smart and it's hooky. It's got a pop sensibility to it, you know? And I think like that might've been it. That maybe like if we find someone, someone must've had the the joint ideas of like, let's, we got to make this cool. The idea of making them, let's make it more of a musical. Someone must've loved musicals and said, let's really, let's do that. And if we get the right composers and they did, you know, and that's, that was really the thing because if the music, it, it, as good as the dialogue and the characters would be, if the music doesn't work, then you forget about it. You're not singing it. You know, it's not catchy. Yeah. It's not funny. A song like Le Poisson would be like, oh, that's cute, but it's so clever. So they just, they, whoever was running it, and I'm, I, I, I wish I knew whether it was Katzenberg or whoever it was, was it like, we like, got to yeah. find, we got to find the right people. And they all came together and it it they took a chance and it and it and worked and thankfully you know and but Ashman, they got the right people. Uh, that's what I was looking to see is when Ashman passed and it was in ninety one. So right when I think there's a um, oh. tribute to him at the end of Beauty and the Beast in the end credits ah, okay. um, because that is when he passed. But he did he did it was Ashman and Mencken uh, on that as well. well and I wonder did, you know I, I know it's because from seeing that little documentary that's on Disney Plus. I know Katzenberg is the is one of the main producers. I don't know if there are others, but yeah. And and you're right, uh, Jason. They had to have had other things in the pipeline, but it's so funny you were talking about this because the other thing Katzenberg is famously complaining about is how long it takes. The length mm-hmm. of time that it takes to hand draw every frame of a hand draw, entirely hand drawn movie. And I think that's why in Beauty and the Beast, you start to get, it's not Pixar, but you start to get no. some of the computerized 
um, um, shots, right? Like the big shot in the ball in the ballroom where they come in in the ballroom. This on, was the last movie that yeah, they did. This that. is the last that's fully hand drowned. You feel you see the computer influence in Beauty and the Beast. But what I wonder and is, in Aladdin when the the, the oh, sand sure. kind of sphinx or comes up that you know yes, that, that's and you computer. can tell like it's yeah. computer computer. Um, but what I wonder with this is, are they? Did somebody? Was it Katzenberg? Was it Roy Disney? Was it? Did somebody look back and go? Um, hang on, we have a, our hook, our thing that's going to really bring this, bring this whole thing together. What we're doing, the, the long-term vision of this is Disney princesses. We got Snow White, we got Sleeping mm. Beauty, we got, uh, Cinderella and let's keep that going because we get little girls in here and we're good. We haven't done that in several years. We've been doing rescuers and mouse detective and, and, and Fox and hound, but let's get the girls mm-hmm. back in and let's build that because, because we can, we can, we can go Ariel, bell, Jasmine, boom, so boom, true. boom, down it's the line. It's such a throwback to what they used to do at their height. And that's yeah, they're going, really what true. is our, stro- what do we got? What do we got in the hopper? We got these classic women characters who are all you know for some in some way or another princesses uh or or become a princess by like snow white at the end and that's 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 a hook that's a that's a long-term uh thing we can hook into it doesn't really come in as much in lion king i guess but i guess nala is a princess by the end of that or a queen Um, (laughs) timon is always a princess the way you play yeah um, oh, uh, a Jewish American princess. Oh <laughs> my God! <laughs> How many she yeah. is? Uh, nine point five, and I don't even know why it's not higher than nine point five. Honestly, yeah, I could easily go ten. I'll go, I'll go nine point seven five. Uh, and the only the only reason is because uh, it's no Caddyshack. You throw a Judge Smales, <laughs> you throw a Judge Smales in there, and he put him on the ocean. Poor unfortunate souls in pain. Holding it, you put out the boat. Jerry, yeah, I'm with you. I'm a 9.52, and I get, I'm not sure why it wouldn't be a 10, but it feels 9.5. Yeah, I, th- I guess I, I'm trying to remember if I gave Aladdin like a 10, because that's I the only reason. Because I think Aladdin to me is like the 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 peak here of this uh this little wave of of Disney animation. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um yeah, but this is fantastic. So so good. The Little Mermaid. Have you ever seen it? People, watch it. <laughs> but first, watch The Wire. Oh, no, Goodfellas, The Wire, then The Little Mermaid. The Wire. I think that's, what we, that's what we established last episode. They're, they're, they're of the a order. piece. They're of a piece. <laughs> yeah. um, thank you for joining us for another episode of Opening Weekend. Oh. We will return with a look back at November 26th, 1986. And finally, finally... The release of Solar Babies, which Fred knows way too much about, having accidentally watched it for this episode, and being related to one of its stars, the great Jamie Gertz. So I'm sure you saw it many times as a boy, just out of familial obligation, no? Uh, No. Last Um, night at one in the morning was the first time that I watched it. that's fantastic. And, and before we record this next episode at about three in the morning, that's when I'll finally force myself <laughs> to watch it. Uh, we'll also be uh, looking at the Harrison Ford film, The Mosquito Coast. And in a treat for Dan, we review our second Star Trek film of the year, The Great Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, directed by Leonard Nimoy. That is next Nobody. time on opening weekend. Dan, what you got for us this week? Yeah, a few songs from... Uh Harlem Nights. No, from the from the from the Little Mermaid. You t- you think you try to guess which ones these are? Okay. 
Wow. Dan was on a mission. Yes. I've never seen you look so concentrated before. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was a fart in this world. <laughs> <laughs> you can see, I just kept imagining all the bubbles rising up out of from under the sea. <laughs> and the foam, the dark, dark brown foam. Some, something smells fishy here. Opening weekend. The Opening Weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.